Hey there, buddy. Want to learn all about Mech Warrior stuff, but friends tell you you don't know your Atlas from your longbow? Then tune in or download the No Guts, No Galaxy podcast. It starts right now. No Guts, No Galaxy is recorded in front of a live studio audience. This is an adult podcast containing adult language. Consider yourself warned. Hello, everybody. This is Duncan Fisher. So, the big bosses upstairs say that my last broadcast was unacceptable. They say I have to apologize to you, my loyal fans, and to the Solaris 7 Gaming Commission. Did they threaten my job? Was I called into a boardroom where some lawyer read off the laundry list of infractions, professional infringements, and insubordinate actions I've taken over the past ten years? Did my fifth wife just petition the courts to become my fifth ex-wife? And does my car still smell like the Atrian cuisine I evacuated into the passenger seat while it was occupied by the daughter of the Prime Minister of Hall? Yes, all of this is true, ladies and gentlemen. But that's why we need to get one thing straight. Do you want to hear corporate lines from a man who sits down and takes his licks from a man in a suit and tie, spewing out the company motto every chance he gets? No. I don't think that's what you, the fans of Solaris 7, want. You want a man who isn't afraid to call it like he sees it. You want a man who makes his own decisions. You want a man who tells you how it is, in and out of the arena, regardless of corporate sponsorships, money-laden endorsement deals, and political schemes. You want me, Duncan Fisher, and that is who you're always going to get. I may not always say what everyone wants to hear, but I do say what needs to be said. This has been the Duncan Fisher Minute. You're listening to the Gamecasting Broadcast Network. Live from the outreach studios around the world, this is a No Guts, No Galaxy podcast. And now, your host, Phil, a.k.a. Sean Lang. Now return with part three and the conclusion of the Brian Ekman interview. This is uh, another question somebody has regarding game modes. Will we ever be able to customize the weight limits before drops or pick from several options if we, for example, want to run a lance of, you know, only light mechs or whatever? Yeah, that will be, again, reserved for the private match system. Uh, and we have, there's two things that will have to happen there. One, uh, the private match system, it's not only is it just the work and then actually doing it and the technical issues but there's also a money issue there too we have to be careful because you actually tie up a dedicated server um, for each of those matches so you know right now we fill up a dedicated server with 24 players if somebody's going and doing a 1v1 match or even a private 24 player match um, that's taking up a, a actual piece of hardware 
So we have to make sure that we don't jeopardize the public play. So we're going to have to do some technical work to segregate off the queues, uh, the private match queues, so that there's a physical amount of hardware assigned to those matches. Uh, but once that's done and once the, the interfaces are allow players to, to play against each other, we, we're going to look at offering those options. Uh, so our thought process right now is to offer for free just play, like pick your game mode, play against two, two teams can match up and then maybe if only one player like the group leader has a premium account this is just thoughts that don't uh, hopefully nobody just goes off on a crazy rant but these are the, these are the things that are going through our, our thought process. not promises not promises yeah but uh a lot of the players to uh in the advanced creation so if the group leader has a premium account advanced uh options would be choose your map choose your game mode choose the view mode uh, choose the tonnage limits, choose the time limit, uh, and so forth. So anything that our matchmaker actually can be fed in terms of variables, we would expose to the player. So when they create their private match, it would be they can customize it to their heart's content and then do so. But, you know, again, you're tying up a dedicated server for a period of time. Um, so we have to make sure that, it, one, it, it doesn't become an uh, incredible cost. I don't think it will. I think, in fact, it's going to be the complete opposite. I think players are going to love it so much that they're going to want to play in the public system to build up their characters and become incredibly uh, competitive. But, you know, we just we need to do our all of our cost analysis and make sure that no matter what, we don't we don't cause some disruption in the public use. Awesome. Across the board. I would love to see, again, game modes, all that. Uh, me personally, I'd love to see a lot of PVE, and I know you guys have talked about that in the past, uh, you know, and your your wants and desires, and that wasn't a part of the question, but, you know, you sort of hinted at that uh, time and money and, you know, down the road, it, things are possible. But uh, let's go ahead and move on. Obviously, we have events and PR, and we've already talked about the launch event. Holy crap, I'm so excited. Um, a lot of people are asking, will there be more in-game events like the Piranha Hunt where we can get rewards for killing devs? And uh, someone keeps bringing this up. Uh, we need to have like NGNG tags because like everyone feels like we're part of the devs and we're not, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're going to definitely, uh, uh, part of the support in Community Warfare is just, you know, getting your brand up there, um, whether it's your image or logo. So we haven't solved that technical hurdle yet, but we're going we're gonna to figure a way to get people's identities into the game in, a, in an easy manner. Uh, as for like the, the hunts, we actually have the functionality that's in the game now. Uh, it's, a, it's kind of like a switch, so what happens is we pick a time frame and any time a developer's killed it automatically issues a, a cockpit item to that player. Uh, we're, we're doing a test right now this week, and uh, I think we're going to try and run one on, in the next week. Next, next week. So, just to see who's paying attention we might be online at some point for you to come kill us and what will happen is auto, an item will be auto-ejected into your account so the next time you log in it'll be available to equip to your mech so yes we're going to be doing a lot more of that and the achievement system will be tied to that as well when it comes out uh, and uh, yeah I mean more 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 always well, I will say, make sure a notification sent to the player because I remember I got a banner. I had no idea. I, I didn't until I went to my. I was like, oh. Well, that's what he was from? saying, though. He's they want to see how much people are paying attention. Well, no, I think he was saying is like who's going to be playing at the time. You know, um, we touched on this earlier, kind of with the the uh, video content and so forth. But have you ever considered doing a video version of Ask the Devs or State of the Game? You know, it would really help in terms of putting a human face to PGI. Yeah, you've had, you know, I, people ask me, why don't you do that? I, I, I just want to put this out there. Like, I spend 
just me personally, probably 30-40% of my day interacting with the community in various ways, whether it's um, handling the marketing needs of the company or you know prepping the ATD with other staff here. We spend a lot of time working on this, and it's funny. We would love to do this. We absolutely would love to do this, um, and it's not for for lack of, of wanting. It's really for lack of time. We are... You know, we are jam-packed. And if you ever hear me go silent or not talk very much, there's two reasons for it. One, I'm on vacation, which I was just recently on. Or two, I, we're so busy trying to get this content out to you. It's just like, whew, you're like, okay, I got to finish this. But I also have to do this. And you're always constantly battling the two, trying to make sure you have enough communication with the fans and the, and the community and also just do your daily workload. So I, to me, this is an evolution that everyone in the studio wants. Uh, we just need to have somebody and the equipment in-house to set it up and have a dedicated resource. And we're working on that right now. And I think, you know, maybe later this year um, we'll be able to switch the format a little bit because even just coming on with you guys and doing this podcast, I'm able to express myself and communicate in a such, like you say, in a human way. Like people just don't see my name. They don't, they don't infuse their own inflections into what I'm saying or misinterpret what I'm saying. I think when you hear me and you talk and, and I always say, if you ever, all those people out there who, you know, maybe are um, are negative or whatever, even positive, I think if you you meet them in person, they're completely different than than what you think they are when you see them on the forum. So yes, humanizing PGI for sure. You know, we're just like you guys. We're just, you know, really big boys who love playing and making games. Amen. And I think if you got to know us personally, you'd have a different perspective. Now, we know how Russ feels about communication with the community. Um, you know, he made that post, and this is actually a question. How do you feel about, you know, PGI and the communication with the community? You know, we, we do a lot of communication, and I, I always wonder, I guess I just need to ask the question, you know, what I mean, what part is, is missing? I know people have said different things, uh, you know, not enough, and I feel like, you know, we communicate a lot. I mean, we, we've made mistakes in communication. I personally have, um, you know, I like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an off the cuff guy. And so is Russ. We, we don't try to bullshit or anything. We, we tell you what we're thinking and we also change our minds too. Um, I think most humans, humans do that. We, you know, we make mistakes or we think something that may not be right. And, you know, because we're in the public eye and we're always having to manage what we say, it, it's tough. It can be tough. You know, I think there's always room for improvement. I think what's the only thing that ever sets us back in communication is what I said earlier is sometimes for in certain periods of development, we have to make a decision on what, how we spend our time. And sometimes we have to pull back a little bit and just focus on getting a feature done. Uh, we don't have a huge dedicated staff here that just the only thing they do is, is community management. In fact, Garth is really the only person who's paid full time just to talk to you guys. The rest of us have a full-time, like a completely or more than full-time job just doing design work or engineering and things like that. So, you know, uh, sometimes I think that is probably where most of the lack of communication will fall if it, and the perception thereof. It's just because all of a sudden we're crunching to get a build out and we just can't talk. We're just super busy. Um, beyond that, it's just, I think, managing expectations and I think we can get better at that and there's been a couple times where because of that busyness or like through the summer you know I was on vacation and purposely trying to avoid working which is you know if I had my wife would have divorced me probably you know uh, it's just 
when that kind of stuff happens, it kind of create does create a bit of a void. It does create opportunities for things to be introduced in a way that could have been introduced better. Good, good example is third person. It probably could have been delivered in a much better way to match people's expectations of what happened. In fact, instead of preempting it, we had to react, and we never liked doing that. We, we really try hard, and I think if you look at our track record, you'll see that that's what the command chair has done. We try our best to preempt any major change with information but every once in a while it doesn't happen and when it does when that happens you you definitely feel the heat and we we don't we don't like it we don't want to be like that but there is there is a legitimate reason why sometimes that happens me and darren we talk about this quite a bit you know i I think communication is always a great thing um across board i always think it'd be improved i think pgi's um you know communication can be improved uh you know doing videos uh twitch events and stuff like that across the board like you said there's things that you want to do i mean there's plenty of other um you know studios that are doing i watch a bunch of them uber entertainment um the star citizen guys sony does it i mean there's so many projects that utilize uh video communication and and stuff like that but you you hinted on something that i just want to touch on is players expectations and i remember russ posted this on a, on a tweet it was well over a year ago and he said you know uh Closed beta is doing good. You know, development's going well. I'm really happy. I just really hope that people don't build up this experience that they're wanting and sort of the game falls short in their books. And, you know, you build up your own hype and stuff. And, I, and what I mean by this is player-like expectations. And this sort of goes back to what we're talking about. And, and a question is player expectations. What is MWO? And, you know, is this the ultimate battle tech experience that we all want, right? Is this the hardcore sim where we want? And I feel like sometimes, and I'm included right in this bracket, we have this huge dream. We have this vision, this, this grandiose experience that I, you know, I don't think MWO is, is going to deliver in the, in the sense of like battle tech, you know, we're not going to live and dream and be these mech warriors, right? Um, can you, sort of hit hit on that like what what is mechware online what is the expectation of someone that's coming into this like what do you expect them to take away from uh, mech warrior well that's a big question i think uh it would be hard for me to say there's going to be any one expectation or one vision that they're going to to have i think everybody is going to interpret it in their own way and but I think the common the common elements is what you should feel is you're going to come into a game that you feel like you're piloting a really giant war machine and that you are a force to be reckoned with, that your skill is what's going to determine the outcome of the match and that even one person can make such a huge difference in how successful your team is, uh, that you're a part and this comes later when we re- release more features, so this is more of the future. But ultimately what I want people to feel like is that they're a part of this massive universe that is rolling around them and that everything they do has an impact on it. Every single match that they play has meaning beyond that 15 minutes and the, the rewards that they get that it, it matters what planet and what map they choose to fight for. It matters if they pick this planetary assault versus that planetary assault uh, it matters that their faction is doing well because they're working together well so that that's ultimately where we want to get i feel like we've captured the essence of a good mech combat game like it's intense 
there's lots of explosions. The fidelity is good. You you have amazing moments of strategy. You have compelling engagements. I feel like we've we've really captured that the, the nature of of what it is to be a mech warrior pilot and what it means to to, to pilot a battletech battle mech. I think that we we got that early on. Like I don't even I don't even think about that much anymore because we hit that before we even launched. We we were lucky. We we captured that that essence, and I want to continue to maintain that and improve upon it and increase the fidelity and always make sure that that core experience is solid. But now now I want players to really experience the greater concept of this universe and and the greater concept of teamwork and and give the players just more to do. So I remember. And you hit this, the nail on the head was when we were interviewing uh, or when Darren went to PAX. Mm -mm, GDC. GDC. The inner boy in his voice when he was like, oh, my God, Phil, that that video, like, like. like, Yeah, I got to see the demo and I was just jaw dropped. Got to meet you. Yeah. And it was just like. You know, and sometimes I feel like uh, we're so in, in depth in the development. And here, here's something else with this whole player expectation, communication, all this is I feel like um, as players and as, as gamers, we're seeing the development of a game that normally takes place behind the scenes. And so we're, we're here for the, the lows and the highs, the ebbs and the flows. And it's something that me uh, personally, as a, as a player and a gamer, it's a new thing for me going through all this you know with mwo and then obviously you know knowing you guys and having relationships with you guys and and knowing your 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 work ethos and you know how much you actually give a crap but i feel like that's something that again comes back to the player expectations and realization that you are literally seeing this game being developed that normally is not a a public you know uh thing now it's, it's a little bit more normal now for free-to-play titles and you've got alpha and, and beta and open beta and stuff but that's new like within the last few years new you know at least in my experience so yeah for sure i mean you're seeing a lot of the trials and tribulations that we actually go through behind closed doors but it's it's in the public eye i mean these are all very similar technical issues balancing issues you know discussions with publishing partners i mean all the stuff you're seeing uh, play out in the public space is stuff that we deal with normally behind closed doors and then we just deliver you a final product uh, so it is definitely a glimpse into the production cycle uh, and uh, it's also for us it's so new I mean, not only is the space uh, new I mean multiplayer gaming isn't new for us but the, the online free to play space and the concept of a live operations team and a future team and, and community management all these things we've never had to, to deal with it at the level we've dealt with with this project because we've always had a publisher between us but you know now now it's ours it's our baby it's our responsibility to manage all this stuff and it's the first time we've had to do it at such a scale and you know obviously we're going to make missteps and we're going to have to learn how to do it and get better at it but it's just what's so fantastic about the space is it's it is forgiving to in a lot of ways as long as you're you know you're humble about it you can make a mistake and recover from it and show so much goodwill through your actions about how you handle those things that people's loyalty is incredible like our our, our consumer loyalty in mechware online blows my mind like it just the, the amount of players that have been playing with us since we first registered the accounts is unbelievable it's so high 
it, it, it blows my mind. Like, I mean, we have people, like the average number of matches for anybody who's played for, uh, you know, more than a few months is in the thousands. It's, it's incredible. And, you know, that's a thousands times eight minutes. So, uh, so I'm always humbled, and this development cycle always amazes me. All the pits and holes and craters you can fall into so easily, and how you have to always dodge them and make sure you're, you know you're on your toes. So, well, you've definitely catered to creating a mech addict, mech porn addict's you know best dream, at least in my opinion. You're, you're saying he's feeding the addiction? Oh yeah. Well, you know, I like to feed the addiction, posting on mech porn all the time. I, mm-hmm. I like to watch. I like to you know create. I mean. Hey, we are going to move on to the final category, which is general questions. And I'm actually going to turn this first question over to Phil because this is one that's always on his mind. So, Phil, take it away. <laughs> All right. So, obviously, you released uh, and you were talking a little bit of, about the client invasion. You can't talk about it too much. You, you said that, but you did talk about uh, weapons and, you know, you guys are going to change things up. Thank God. I've always had a huge issue with I've always enjoyed I'm not going to lie. Growing up, I played uh, as a cleaner and I enjoyed the, the dominance, uh, right? But I, obviously, as I've, I've gotten older and I've realized, you know, there is a big balance issue. Um, Omnimechs are always a big question coming up. Uh, have you have you guys solidified how you guys are going to do the client Omnimechs? Uh, we haven't finalized the plans. We've got a good, like... I kind of expressed that earlier. We have a vision for how we want to handle it, and that's the most important thing. We have a framework. Um, we want to make sure that we don't enforce or put in place something that just absolutely eliminates all the content uh, before. So we're going to be playing with a few different things in terms of tonnage limits and some of the, the lower concepts that exist within the universe to kind of help with balancing. Uh, but we're also not going to follow you know, the tabletop numbers or even the functionality of the tabletop numbers to a T. Uh, we're going to find a way to interpret that. And this game is an interpretation of the Battletech rules. I've said that since the very first time I made a press announcement or talked about this game. You know, This has to be interpretation because it isn't a tabletop game, right? And it's uh, we have to make sure that this game is... Um, functional and fun for our our customers and our gamers that are playing now uh so with that framed that's how we're going about designing these things there's also some technical thing, uh, aspects including how mech lab works with the omni mechs that we're working on right now uh we have made the mad cat it's already designed the concepted everything it's actually been mostly you mean produced. you mean the timberwolf right the timberwolf? Uh, sorry yeah timberwolf oh, okay. no he means the mad cat yeah. no timberwolf <laughs> Sorry, I had, we, to. I had to. Yeah. I'm Intersphere and he's Clan. Russ I mean, that's just. Corrected you. It, well, it that's right all there. good. That's fine. Russ would have corrected you. I know yeah. he would. Yeah, uh, well, you know what side I'm on. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> anyways, we've we've already modeled it. It's designed. Alex has done the concept work on it, uh, and so we're we're going to put that through a prototype phase as to how the mechanics of MechLab would work with the OmniMech. So, there's there's that aspect um, that needs to be fa- finalized, and then there's just the game balance part, and then kind of like the meta game and the faction aspect of it. So, we're working on it, but it's not a priority just yet. Um, it's kind of still in the high level stages while we focus on the other bigger features right now. Um, but once community warfare is out of the way, it's actually a large chunk of the work associated with doing the clans. It's just going to be mostly about balancing and, and those technical aspects of owning and, and things like that. And then we'll make decisions to how, how players pledge to a faction 
um, whether they can like switch between uh, intersphere and clan and what the repercussions of that are i want to make this is this is where we'll probably have to deviate from the lore just from a practicality point of view and from an accessibility point of view we're going to have to allow players who are intersphere pilots right now to be able to join those factions but joining factions is uh is an event unto itself so we want to make sure that experience is is um inspired by by the lore um well i think you have to i mean you realize i mean it's it, no one's gonna fall to you guys for saying okay hey if you wanted to want to be a client now's the time to switch over you know i there's there's nothing wrong with that i mean it would be actually a sort of ludicrous totally understand now can I ask you a few more questions about Omnimax? Uh, well, actually, I'm going to, and you can just tell me no, I guess. But obviously, what you guys have done is you've turned the Battletech rules, as far as, like, build rules, you've actually put, like, uh, hard points, and, and you've got uh, hard points with crit system. That's something the Battletech rules, as far as build rules, doesn't have at all. Like, you've had to recreate that. It's very reminiscent of, uh, you know, MechWare 4 in some instances, but still with the crit system. Obviously, a lot of people, and even me, we've speculated Omnimax, and you know there are rules to building Omnimax. Like for instance, you guys have held true to how many crit slots, um, you know, endo still, ferrofibrous, uh, how much you know weight of engines and the rating and stuff like that. You know, clan Omnimax or Omnimax in general, because Interfere gets them as well. There's a few build rules, such as like you can't change the internal structure; it's set as far as in an Omnimax. You know, Pharaoh. You know, the armor type; it's set. You know, you can change the amount, even though that's sort of been talked about, like yay or nay. You can change the amount of heat sinks, but you can't change the type uh, and the engine and stuff. Is hard set into these. Like for instance, the Timberwolf. If you guys were to go with Timberwolf Prime. Prime through the D variant all have the same engine. They all have the same internal structure. Is that something you guys are going to be following, or you know, can you talk about that? Yeah, we'll probably. Yeah, yeah, big question. A, it is a big question. Uh, so any answer I give right now is subject to uh, future balancing design. So don't. It's not a no, nothing. I would say is final. But there's 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 kind of two parts to it. There's the amount of space that a weapon takes up, critical space, which differs depending on whether it's Intersphere or um, Clantech, if I remember correctly. And uh, and also all the things you just mentioned. So uh, not allowing you to change your engine and stuff like that, those are very easy gameplay decisions to make, right? It's really the concerning part for us is more about the firepower that you can load, like an uh, 80-ton mech can have more on it because it's a, a Clantech or an Omnimech. And that's where the disparity comes from, uh, among other things like just having s- certain types of weapons that aren't technically available to the industry, which, again, we can bypass pretty simply by making them available in the store. So we're, those, those, that's kind of the area we have to address. We have to figure out the, the critical slot rules and see what makes sense if we're going to allow these mechs to be significantly more powerful, where's the give and take, and and why would I ever not? Why would I ever bother piling an intersphere mech when every clan mech is superior? So, uh, so that's we're, we don't have the final solutions for that. But that's what we're targeting uh, as the change. It'll be in in how equipment's equipped and the rules associated with it. So, okay. One last question regarding clan tech and IS in this regards. I've heard an answer before. I don't know if it's you or Russ. It might have been you or it might have been Paul when this gets brought up. Mixed tech. Uh, it's a big game change because, like I've heard in the past, or like that's happened in the past, if it's clearly superior, it's always going to be used. And in the past, that was the case. I mean, weapons, mixed tech always happen. If you allow that, obviously, you, you know exactly what's going to happen. Is mixed tech going to be allowed in uh, MWO? 
I don't have a final answer to that yet. We'll, we'll try. We'll try a free market system first in terms of just allowing items to be equipped to any mech and see what that yields internally in our ecosystem and obviously on public tests as well. Um, we, it, it, it'll probably, it might be, and I'm not sure entirely what the, the final answer is going to be, but I think if we use economics to our advantage, it might manage it a bit better. As an example, once we introduce the faction play, you know, there's going to be certain mechs that are traditionally considered to be exclusive to a specific, like a, a specific faction itself, like say the dragon or the victor or whatever, right? Well, one of the nice things is with the new economics, we can change the prices based on your faction allegiance. So there could be a black mar black market price for that item. So you might pay significantly more for the luxury of trying to buy it if you're not associated with the faction that is generally going to have that technology. So that's a way we can deal with it. But ultimately, that can be circumvented by time, right? Because eventually you'll acquire enough money to be able to buy that item. So, you know, we're, we're going to have to look at some other things as well in, in addition to just the economic factors. Phil is like a kid in the candy I store. Going, I know. Stop, so <laughs> he really could. Uh, yes. So I'm going to stop him. Um, <laughs> it, you know, and but speaking of uh, sweet things, candy, what would make a really great Christmas present, Brian, is some uh, Mad Cat slash Timberwolf concept art. Just saying. Anyway, we're going to move on to the next question, which is, are there ever going to be extremely rare items added to the game, such as cockpit items, custom camo schemes, maybe, or even uh, mechs themselves? PC gamer stuff like that? Yes. Uh, always. There's always opportunity for that. Uh, there's going to be several different ways to do that. Uh, the first immediate one is going to be the launch event. There's going to be content uh, medallions that are only going to be available to uh, to the attendees, which is cool. So situational stuff where you're able to go somewhere, you get something. But more meaningful stuff uh, will come from the metagame that we're putting in with the, the rankings, the level system that I described earlier. Uh, I really want to uh, introduce rewards that are only available by playing the game to a certain level. And with the achievement system, we can actually uh, gift players certain items that they have to earn. So let's say a sharp, like really easy mechanic, like a sharpshooter sharp shooter achievement, you know, get you know 10,000 kills and you will get the sharpshooter medallion that has more than just looks, but maybe also could have a passive benefit like a plus one C build a percent seabill booster or a plus one or a plus two or whatever percent loyalty booster. So some really useful items that are can be earned by just playing the game and achieving certain levels. So that, in addition to all the marketing initiatives that we will be continuing to do, which will introduce items, I think kind of covers those those special things. Plus, there will be some... There's, there, there's one concept that we have that will probably be a part of community warfare down the road but it will include um those those rare items like you know acquiring them via um participating in certain key events like uh certain historical events within the universe how about uh tournaments where you guys host a tournament or something like that and the winners get a mech that no one else i mean eve online does that when they host their alliance tournament the winners get items that you know, uh, usually it's, well, the ships usually have a bonus or whatever, and they're uber rare, but you can see where, you know, uh, something like that where, uh, I don't know, off the top of my head, like Big Ben Atlas or something, you know, like one of them. Yeah, you bet. Like, I, there's, there's a couple analogies I could probably draw right now. One is, um, 
you know, say the ability to join the uh, Wolf Wolf Dragoon faction, right? So here's here's a how you would go about doing that. You would have to join each house and achieve maximum loyalty in every house, kind of in in, in the spirit of what they did, how they they worked for each house. And I like you, that. You know, and then you have so you have to work up your allegiance, your rank up in each and every one of the factions. And as soon as you do that, and you've achieved the rank once in each of those factions, you unlock the ability to join the Dwarf Dragoon. And once you join the Wolf Striking, and now you get their pattern, you're able to equip their pattern and their colors. So that's that's where we're going to be. That's where our brain is at, where our thought process is at with that kind of content, and what we're going to be doing with the metagame. So, all right. Now, along those lines, I know this is all sort of to do with economy and price. You know, we talked about prices of max and stuff like that. Um, this is sort of a side tangent, but. Um, are we ever going to see repair and rearm and or something to the effect go back in, into the game? Uh, I, I don't think repair and rearm will ever kind of come back. Uh, we had a, it was just, it was almost impossible to balance in a, in the, the game model that we have. We just, we couldn't find a way to get it to work. That's why we pulled it out. We were, we felt it was doing more harm than good, uh, especially for the complexity of the game for new players. It was just really punitive, um, and in order for us, it was very, it was easy to abuse. It was just a combination of different things that we, we weren't happy with. Um, we've, there's been a couple guys in the studio who've pitched a bunch of different durability concepts, which is what we're looking at. Uh, something that's less punitive to the new player, but something that an experienced player or a long time player could kind of sink their teeth into. It's like more micromanagement. Uh, so we are looking at a, a, concept that is the spiritual successor to repair and rearm uh but we it's it's kind of it's been tabled for now because we do have a lot of other higher priority things now but you did hint earlier towards kind of not repair and rearm but basically like the idea of the drop ship and and having you know if you're a unit having to repair or maybe repurchase a drop ship or something like that yeah, that's more on the Merc Corp side. So uh, one, one thing that when I go through the presentation, it, it'll, it'll explain more in detail. But we, we really, unlike, say, other MMOs, because we're not quite an MMO, really. We're kind of in a, in a mid-space between, you know, traditional, say, retail box product and, and an MMO. We're, when it comes to inventory, it's really important for us to keep inventory separate. So there's your, the concept of your own inventory and what you own and you manage. And there's a the concept of what the Merc Corp owns and what it manages. Uh, and there really can't be any transference between those two things because of the economics model that we are in with a free-to-play business. We need Again, I don't like to, I don't like to harp on it, but we do have to make money, and the way we make money is for people to buy content, and that means that they need to maintain some kind of inventory or some some reason to spend money, uh, and so we won't we won't it won't be like a guild and say Eve where you have guild assets that you can transfer from players like ships that can be given to a player. We 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 most likely won't allow that at any point, just for the reasons I said. But we really want the guild to have some common assets, something the players could really build towards and feel like, hey, we built this. This is awesome. This is ours, and it belongs to us. And we felt that that would be by acquiring um, certain types of bigger than bigger than one person elements like dropships, jump ships. Well, maybe not jumps. We'll see uh, some more stuff there. But dropships, and also once you are involved in a planetary conquest and you actually take over a planet, there'd be this concept of upgrading the bases there. So you could actually you'd, you'd, you'd attack it, you'd acquire it, you now have the occupation for it for as long as you can control it, and now depending on the privileges that are set within that Mercorp, you'd actually be able to uh, install structures at that 
on that planet and there'll be a, a list of you know say 10 to 15 different things you can install each item will have a, a sea bill cost to build it repair it and maintain it and also uh, a time frame that it takes to actually to construct it so there's going to be a bit of quite a bit of tactics involved in managing the plants that you occupy and the resources you earn from occupying those and the resources you spend to defend them uh, and then obviously with the drop ship that's more of a it's, it's a it's it's a reference to the concept that there's actually people stationed at that location even though technically they're not they're anywhere in the universe just because you know you can play any random match you wanted but if you're holding that that planet we want you to feel like we want the Merc to feel like they actually have to move people there and that the strategy behind where you place your people will influence how success how your ability to defend those those resources so so, yeah, long, long oh, patience, Darren. Patience. God, that stuff sounds so good. Now, we we, we got to move on uh, to the next question. Will we ever be able to eject from our mechs? Whether it's just aesthetic or not, is that on the drawing board? Uh, it's it's one of the backlog items. We wouldn't allow you to, to actually walk around. <laughs> There's a lot of smoke and mirrors in our game. So right now, if you ejected from the game and walked around, you would find out that all those ferns are like giant ferns they're all the little shrubs are are not to scale so we do a lot of trickery with with foliage uh, foliage um, reference and things like that so it wouldn't really be supportive of a player scale uh, because the mech is actually kind of it's no actually no it's not player scale it's actually real scale but um, i i think yeah, what anyways people, i think what this question is referring to is sort of like your 2009 you know trailer that you guys were going for you know like your mech just got blown out from underneath you and it's you know it's it's just going on right and obviously when you eject then it would switch to the the spectator when you can spectate your other friends but just for the fact the immersion level like me personally i want to see this like one of the problems though i'm anticipating is that maybe height would also reveal some of the smoke and mirrors yeah, no, 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 we can no, some of that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know where you're going. Just with the that, process, it, not, yeah. not actually. You walk around, or you're in. What I'm saying is, you just see the pilot eject. You just blew up a mech, and you just see it poof go up, and that's it. And just little things like that. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the artist would love to do it. I think it's it's definitely on 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 a list to get done. Um, yeah, it, it's endless. It's endless, and we really <laughs> always have to be conscious of what we do, and we really want to focus on on features. You know that, uh, like in the for the last few months, we've been really focusing on balanced performance and new user features. That's that's been our thing, right? And now, what we're working on right now is core features. We're addressing the core audience, and we're making sure we deliver community warfare, private matches, tournaments, and achievements, and all the stuff that that group really wants and needs so once we're done with that then we can start looking again at okay what's what's the next thing we're going to look at well there's the fidelity there's the graphics there's all this it's always being worked on at some level but whether how much manpower or whatever priority it is it just varies depending on what we're focused on at that time gotcha um will we ever see faction specific mech variants now this could be aesthetically just a camo scheme if you're part of that faction or it could be up to uh you know mechs that are only available to a specific faction or maybe at a cheaper cost or something like that yes i think i did touch on that a little bit earlier definitely on the costing we haven't decided if certain mechs will be exclusive to certain factions and 
part of the reason for that uh, is, is again, kind of the business side of it. Uh, there's a cost to making mechs, and I think I've said it's around, it's a between, depending on the complexity of the mech, between fifty dollars and $80,000 to produce the mech. And that's not the marketing time or the content delivery cost, like, because we pay a certain amount of cents per you know, gigabyte or whatever it is. So, you know, even if you play the game for free, there's a significant amount of cost just for us to maintain it and run it. So, um, so that's, that would be one of the reasons why we wouldn't do that. Um, I also feel like I don't want to necessarily punish the player from having to make that choice. It's a really hard, hard choice to make, like, hmm, which mech do I want? And a new player is not going to necessarily be able to make that decision easily. Uh, so I think how we'll probably handle it is via the economics. So we'll make purchasing a mech that is clearly a specific faction mech and almost exclusively used by that faction more of a black market item so you'll pay a premium if you're not a part of it and also say you're a lone wolf or a merc corp you don't necessarily have an association if you choose not to be associated with the faction you'd be buying off the black market the entire time so there would be you know a different a different price level for you um, and that's kind of the fun we can have with the lore and the economics and as for the patterns, yes, absolutely. One of the things that players will be able to do if they join a faction is um, do a certain series of achievements uh, that are unlocked at a key uh, loyalty point levels. As you earn loyalty points and you gain respect within that faction, you'll be able to do certain achievements that will then unlock the ability for you to go into some of the famous house units, similar to how the analogy of the Wolf, uh, Wolf Stragoon. So you'll be able to unlock specific skins and patterns and colors and things like that that you'll be able to uh, get for playing a certain way. Now, next question we have, and I think you guys have answered this, but someone asked it was, will you ever be able to auto-refill option for like consumables? Yes, that's going to be part of uh, uh, part of something we add with community uh, the new UI. Now, uh, I, I did see a little bit of mention of this in one of the recent updates, or um, you know, one of the forum posts. But how is the DX11 implementation coming along? It's it's going well. Uh, the we had to fix a bunch of bugs, and uh, the production service took priority, so we've. It's been delayed. It's kind of come in and out of test a few times based on, on, on what our availability is to actually do the work. Right now, it's uh, it's one of the things we are focusing on, and we should expect to see some public tests in the month of September, and I'm hoping it gets out there as quickly as, quickly as possible. There's also a few other things wrapped up in that, including an engine update, which brings along some new fixes and things that we need to get out. So um, it's, it's actively being worked on right now. Now, can you uh, tell us what, like why DX11 and like what does it do? It opens the door for us to add some more visual fidelity. Um, when you turn it on, there won't be much change, but there will be some performance boosts for Windows 8 users um, specifically. Uh, so there will be some great optimizations that are, come with it and will in the future allow us to do some really neat particle effects and a whole bunch of other things. So No for, one uses Windows 8. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it, it is actually it is a, a, a bit of a problem for some of our consumers and we want to make sure that they, they are able to play the game if, uh, efficiently. So uh, yeah, so that's it does come with some optimizations uh, for your OS and obviously some just some general game optimizations that we want to take advantage of. And once we do some work, some of the visual fidelity and some of those those key new newer technologies that are available uh, via the DirectX uh, 11 update uh, will be able to take advantage of. All right, another big question we have, and this is something that uh, I don't know if someone asked, but I, I know it's been uh, voice over IP, uh, C3, communication has always been a big thing. You guys sort of partner at the time you partnered with c3 and then everything just sort of nothing came can you give us an update what's going on with that yeah we it's one of the things we want to do is uh 
do a full full integration of it, so it's part of uh, of the actual gameplay experience. It's a tough one, and it, this is just my personal opinion, um, and doesn't always re- it doesn't reflect the entire the direction of the game because as a whole we work together to 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 decide what features are best for the community. I've always felt that at some level it's 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 good for new players if there's a built-in tool because then other players can communicate with them but i've always found that most people use their own solution right any of the core groups they will never use it unless they have to so i always felt that it was a lot of energy put into something that only a handful of people would use so i don't i don't necessarily i don't maintain that fully now i do understand that there's a really good need but because of that we haven't prioritized it super high because of the amount of usage we've seen in it. Ultimately, the correct solution is to do a full integration where it's just part of the command structure. But to do that, we also have to finish another feature, which is the command wheel, which we've been working on, which is a quick order menu, so you don't have to go to the battle grid. And that's like, you know, stuff you've seen in other games like Battlefield or whatever. So once oh, that's, yes. Once that's Attack my target. Yeah, exactly. Once that's come in, then then that would uh, tie directly into the need to have that full integration. Uh, and we're also reassessing our relationship with C3, whether or not it's the right company to be partnered with or if we're going to do something different. All right, very cool. And the final question we have in the general category is we have, Phil and I do have lots of Australian friends uh, via the podcast and gamers that we play with on a regular basis, and they all want to know if regional servers will be coming anytime soon. Yeah, we're working on we're working with um, a few different partners around the world to bring regional servers. Uh, there's kind of three areas we're working on. One is Russia, which is essentially a closed region to us. We can't really go in there uh, and do business very easily. We actually have to partner with somebody to do that. There's Europe, who we're looking at. There's a couple of ways we can do that. We can work with somebody to do it, uh, so license license the rights to that territory, or we'll end up doing it ourselves. Right now, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at trying to, to, to put our own servers, our own boots on the ground, so to speak. Um, and then, then we'll be looking at uh, you know, um, uh, South Pacific. Sorry, there's another term for it. Uh, Southeast Asia, that kind of placement. So that would be Australia as well. And making sure that we, we have local local servers for that, that group. So uh, it, is, it is in the works, but like everything, uh, we have to make sure we... We um, do it right and do it in a way that um, is best for all of our users. And you know, there's there are, the big question is whether you segment or segregate your user base into different shards. Um, and that's one thing we have to be careful of. We don't we don't we want to allow players to be able to play anywhere they want. Uh, so uh, the, the 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 concept, the architecture behind that requires the data center to be able to communicate your account to local. Um, uh, a, a local dedicated service. So there's, there's, there's a big, there's actually quite a bit of, quite a lot of infrastructure that has to be set up in order to support that. So, and we are, we're, we're working on that right now. I'll tell you one of the most annoying things I recently discovered is I hopped in Planetside 2, hadn't played in a while, and you're region locked into what server you're in, and you have to create a whole other account. And, uh, you know, obviously with MWO, we play with people in Europe, we play with people in, you know, obviously. Uh, you know, Southeast Asia, uh, Australia, I mean, Russia, I mean, all these different places. And I felt like you almost have to have like community warfare, though. And can you speak on this? You almost have to have community warfare separate in these different groups or different areas, because like, it's not realistic for, let's say all the community warfare battles happen in US time zone. That's not fair to someone when it's four o'clock in the morning in Germany, you know, or Australia. I mean, that's just not, it's not reasonable either. 
So I almost feel like that's another reason to have regional servers. Is that correct? That's right. I mean, at the end of the day, there's there's multiple reasons. One, players, you know, th- th- there is a difference, despite the willingness of many players to play in North America on North American servers. North American players, there is something to be said about being able to play in your own country with your own mother tongue and whatnot. And there's there's a lot there's a there's a lot of players who won't play the game for that reason. And, and in fact, there's more often than not that's the case. So. Um, and localizing, localizing for one, that's an easy thing we're, we're working on right now. Um, just localizing the language to various, um, so efix, so English, French, Italian, German, Spanish. Just getting those out of the way um, will immensely help our player base. But also, you know, playing in your own time zone is huge, right? I mean, if you're trying to organize something, uh, or if you're friends with people, a lot of a lot of the social aspects of this game are regionalized, right? Because there's just different different ways about every country and, and living there so um you know being being having a server in say germany which is one of our largest regions makes sense because there's a huge german population that would probably play there um, but also a lot of them not to be forced to play there is is it's really important to me personally um and i'd love to avoid it at all costs but is there's pos there's positive scenarios where if we have to partner with somebody like say Russia that that would be a requirement they would want to know that their players are playing on their servers. Yeah, I mean on top of that, I've I've had uh, you know experiences in Eve where you had time zone locks and issues because like right your your main fights come out in time zones of a, you know another country or whatever they're going to be stronger or vice versa you know and it was just really it was one of those like balancing acts that uh, I know CCP had to deal with and, and still deals with, you know, and it's one of those things where I see it in MWO, and that's why I think regional servers is so important. So said individuals, and well, I guess that, you know, goes both ways, though, if you allow the op, you know option to where maybe they can log off, log back in, and, you know, they want to play with their buddies that night, they can log on, you know, to the North American server, and they still have all their stuff. And I know that technically... Uh, behind the scenes and the technical aspect that's it's a lot of work but I feel like it's really important to be able to have that option to be able to log out and I know World of Tanks has that uh, I'm not sure about the other ones but to be able to log out log back in and change your servers to be able to play with your buddies and still have all of your stuff to me is uber important across the board yeah absolutely yeah, and I think it's also important to point out that this isn't something that's uh, unique to MechWarrior Online. I mean, in all the games that uh, we play with our Australian friends, they're pretty much uh, borked. doesn't matter what game. If they're going to play on our servers with us, uh, they're dealing with insane uh, you know, ping and lag and so forth. So it's not unique to this game. But anyway, Brian, <clears throat> we want to thank you so much for taking this insane amount of time because this definitely went over by a couple hours. Um <laughs> Thank you, man. I mean, we totally appreciate you taking your time out of the day for us. Yeah, my pleasure. And thank you for giving me an opportunity to come on. I mean, I always love this kind of communication because it's more natural uh, having a, a conversation and a dialogue than trying to formulate the perfect word on, in a piece of paper that's not going to be mis- uh, a, uh, misinterpreted. So I think uh, you know, being able to come on here and talk for this long, which is really fun and kind of tell you what we're doing is, is super exciting. And I, I hope everybody enjoys the podcast. Most definitely, man. And I just want to say thank you one last time to you, Brian, and especially, you know, this whole, and I'm going to bring this up, you know, the Sarah's Jenner thing. I just want to say thank you again for doing that for her and for her family and father. It was uber, uber awesome. And again, thank you to our community for stepping up to the plate. And uh, we actually got something pretty cool that we're going to showcase for you guys very, very soon. And, uh, you know, um, 
yeah, you guys will see you soon. Another freaking Easter egg from Phil. Sorry, I do that all the time to you guys. You're a big a tease, tease, man. I am. I am, I am. Anyways, hey guys, hopefully you enjoyed this show. Make sure to check us out on Facebook where you can uh, catch all the latest mech porn and information that we uh, find and we'll post up or anything like that. It's a great way to just have feedback and be able to give you guys information and, uh, you know, directly, like instantaneously. I, like Facebook is awesome for that. But, uh, yeah, you can always check us up on uh, YouTube as well. Um, posted up a... Uh, uh, and let me clarify this. Yesterday I posted up a quick little video I did, not Darren. Darren's the, you know, video guru here. Uh, I need to learn and stuff like that. But he, um, he's the go-to guy. I posted that up just for a quick glimpse at, like, the new mech. And it's so funny because a lot of people are like, oh, man, there was no action. And, oh, this was horrible. And blah, blah. it was on NGNG TV and not official MWO channel. So, please, if that was me. That wasn't. <laughs> I just want to and keep in mind, he goes in and sniffs his mead, like, ten times a day. So he's probably high yeah. on mead fumes. And, yeah. Yeah. No, no. Anyways, but check this out. Uh, we post up all the Twitch events and, uh, you know, crew play videos. Um, I do have uh, a lot of people requesting for me to do a Mech Commander 2 walkthrough. I'm probably going to do it just because you guys demand it. Um, I'll suffer through it. I still love Mech Commander 1 Gold so much better. I really, on that note, too, um, I, I do have some news uh, down the road. I'll, I'll talk about that. But uh, for all of you Mech Commander gold lovers and there's some modding tools that we'll be making available very soon and if you would like to help out head over to the no guts no galaxy forums other games there's a mech commander modders corner you can just post up in there so make sure to check it out but anyways guys hey make sure to check us out on uh you know twitch as well and that's where uh, darren's uh, shout outs earlier those guys do an amazing job i hop on there every once in a while but they're the workhorse i mean these guys stream all the time literally all the time and it's pretty awesome to have that presence on uh, twitch like that and and, you know, uh, we'll always be looking for more people, too. So I just want to say thank you to Brian again, to our community, to everyone out there for supporting us. And, of course, to Darren, who's going to be editing this mm-hmm. long-ass podcast. Guys, uh, have a great day. Hopefully you enjoyed this. Uh, and thank you again for posting our questions. Uh, we hope we we had to combine a lot of them. Some of you guys asked the same question around about different ways. So we combined them and, and got them out there. So thank you again. And uh, we do appreciate all the feedback. So this was your local No Guts, No Galaxy MechWare podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. This is Phil. This is Darren. Until next time, Mech Warriors. It'd be best if you avoid me. But I know you probably can't You sense something is wrong with me You can feel it on my skin But there is more with it Just a little off The truth is at one time I was But now I'm a robot Forever dead.